Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets If you don't win your first bet, place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotion, promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. This episode of The Huddle is brought to you by the Athletic Club Oakland, my go-to sports bar in the East Bay. This will be a shock to no one. I love watching sports, and I love it even more while at a sports bar. But to be honest, there was a long period of time where I just couldn't find one I really liked. I'd hit a spot that had TVs, but the food sucked ass. Or a place that had good food, but they wouldn't show the game I wanted, and the inside felt dark and depressing. It was always some trade-off or sacrifice, and that's done now. The ACO is exactly what I'm looking for. They have a huge space, including an outdoor spot where they shut down an entire street and called it the town gardens. They have more than 100 televisions, which can and will show every game you ask for, and they have great food. The ACO has everything. You need to comfortably watch your favorite team in any sport at any time with passionate fans. I love it, and I'm pretty damn sure you will too. The Athletic Club Oakland, where sports fans get everything they want every day they want it. We're going to bring you on to our huddle. You are in. Where's huddle with me, Bram? No Marcus today, but joining me per usual, my master of all things video and sound, Maxime. How's it going? Maxime, I'm fired up to announce we have a new guest, man. We don't get to do this that often. I always get kind of nervous and excited for the first time in the huddle. A former professional basketball player in both Brazil and Australia, where he played for former 76ers head coach Brett Brown. A coaching presence at both the legendary Oakland Soldier AAU team and Bishop O'Dowd's title-winning program. The founder, owner, and operator of Triple Threat Academy, where he's developed multiple college and NBA players and a guy who is currently piloting my own daughter's early basketball career, Mr. Triple Threat Tony. What's going on, Tony? Hey, thanks for having me. What's going on, guys? Two things right from the jump. First, an embarrassed admission. So behind the scenes, we meet before we hit record and kind of talk about you know what's going to be coming up and the various things. And one of the notes I had on my shit that I forgot to ask Tony before we started was how to pronounce his last name. And so we're counting down the seconds before this damn thing started. Literally, we're live. I know I'm going to throw it out, Tony. And I didn't know how to say your last name. So I started with triple threat, Tony. Tony, what's your last name, dude? I should have asked you that. What do you you think it is? Let's play a game. What do you think it is? Triple threat? I have no (laughs) idea. I would have included it, dude. What do you want me to tell you? So it's pronounced for Sarah. Tony for Sarah. Bracero. Got it. We'll, yep. uh, we'll edit that in to make it seem like I knew what I was talking about. Here's the sure. second thing. So, I mean, I stalked you in preparation. I'm impressed by all the bona fides. But the thing that really stuck out to me, man, was the AAU coaching uh, stint. And here's why. I played in the AAU for a little bit. It was just one summer back in like the mid-90s. And I remember it ending because at like midway through a game, a coach and a referee got into a huge fucking fight. And like the ref got the shit kicked out of him. And I've been like pseudo intimidated by AAU specifically ever since then. So even though you coach with like Popovich and all these other people, it's your time in the AAU that sticks out to me, man. Nicely played. 
Oh, thanks. That, that was probably the shortest stint. I did that for two years. Uh, the majority of my coaching uh, was at my basketball academy and at Bishbo Dow. Yeah. We'll we'll cover you in, in droves. But at AAU, did you beat up any refs, any any fights or anything like that or no? No, but I <laughs> I once got kicked out of a game. There was a, a ref that was kind of a showman. You know, he was doing all the moves. And he was a little guy, and I, I called him Sammy Davis Jr. He, he favored him quite, and he threw me straight out of the gym. That was up in Tahoe. And it's really embarrassing when you're sitting outside of the gym in the first quarter, and parents are walking in going, hey, coach, what's going on? And you're like, hey, I'll see you after the game. I'm not allowed back in the gym. I, I respect that you stayed there. How many times did you call him Sammy Davis Jr. before he gave you the hook? I mean, literally the first time, or did you get like four or five? And then he said, I called him Showtime before, and then he was standing right next to me, and I had, I mean, it could have been his twin brother, and I had to. I had to push the line. He did not like that, so he must have gotten it before because he he was quick to say, "Get out of the gym." There's no question. There's no. He has thought it before. You know what I mean? It's not just that he heard it. He's thought it before, and the second you hit that that exposed nerve, out he went. I should tell you, if you make any Nick Wright jokes while we're going forward here today, similar reaction from Maxime. So no. careful, dude. He, he takes it hard. No way to. Uh, to handle that professionally. I tell you what, man, I got a bunch of warrior stuff for you. We need your help. Um, I'm confused. There's all this inconsistency I need to run by you. But before we do, you're new to the show. We never get to do this. So I want to explore some things with you. I know you're from the Bay. Um, Shit, you know my wife. Uh, So I also know you're a Warriors fan and a season ticket holder. Give me a sense, man, quickly. Um, Who's your favorite player growing up and your least favorite player growing up? So favorite player growing up, other than Michael Jordan, because I think everyone loved Michael Jordan yeah. growing up, uh, it's probably Jason Kidd, because I started watching him, I think, in the fifth, sixth grade, and all the way through, my uncle coached against him in the seventh and eighth grade and actually beat him. He was a coach at a little school called Assumption, and Jason Kidd played at St. Pascal's, and Assumption had an NBA player son, um, uh, Sonny, Sonny, it'll come to me, but they beat him for the championship. And then I watched him at St. Joe's through Cal. So he's probably my favorite of all time. And now sure. Steph has kind of taken that over. Yep. Least favorite. What's the other side <laughs> of that coin? Probably James Harden. I just, I, I've actually paid to go to a game and I will never watch him live again. It is, it's terrible. <laughs> terrible. How do you answer that, Maxime? I've never done that with you. Least favorite player. Give it to me both. I mean, if you're willing, your least favorite warrior of all time and then your least favorite opposing player. Well, um, I think Verjao is still my least favorite uh, Warriors player just because the the back and forth with with the Cavs, it felt like he was an a, a double agent. You know what I mean? And I just, uh, there were so many moments in the late season or in the late playoffs where I feel like he uh, he tanked it for us, um, if that's even possible. So I just still have a, a sore spot against Verjao. Um, but but overall, man, I, I agree with you. I was in the building um, when uh, when we watched... Harden uh, and the Rockets go over twenty four uh, in in the playoffs a few years ago, and beautiful and wasn't is, it? Oh, uh, I mean, it was it was the best <laughs> feeling in the world. In some ways, it it made me hate him both more and less because it was like, oh, okay, well, this is this guy isn't that much of a threat, so I guess I shouldn't hate him that much. But it is incredibly frustrating to watch him play basketball. James, the Harden Warriors player I was thinking game. about, Sonny Parker's son, played on the eighth grade team that beat Jason Kidd. Good knowledge. Good right. knowledge. Yeah. Uh, working backwards, as far as James Harden's concerned, he has a superhero ability to not only make me hate him, he makes me hate the game of basketball as I watch it, which is almost impossible. It's my favorite television show. And I don't know if I've ever said this into this mic, my least favorite warrior of all time, and it's scandalous because he's back in our life, Mike Dunleavy. I had a lot of like <laughs> angry nights with Mike D in my life, dude. And now that he's part of the front office, he is what it is. I've seen him out of practice, and I've never casually mentioned that I disliked him and my least favorite player from opposing teams. I'm such a fucking psychopath. It just changes depending on the year, you know, so I mean, right now it's probably John ja Morant, but I've had a ton of hate for Mikel Bridges. I had a ton of hate for Sadiq Bay. It's a bottomless pit of hate for me, unfortunately enough. Uh, back to you, Tony. So playing overseas, man, tell me about that. Uh, playing Brazil, playing Australia. Give us a story, something that kind of illustrates what that experience is like. So I, I played for about three months in Australia for the Sydney Kings. Uh, my coach was Brett Brown, uh, who uh, I don't have very nice things to say about Brett Brown. And then I played for a season down in Rio de Janeiro. Um, 
So to sum it up, you know, Australia is a lot like Maxime knows he's there right now. You know, a lot like America, everyone speaks English. Once you figure out the accent, you can understand them. But when I was playing in Brazil, there was no other American players on the team. No one spoke English. So I just remember coming to timeouts and the coach would just lay into me. And I'm talking, I could tell he was cussing because he's spitting and he's screaming. And I would just look at him and go, all right, sounds good. And I'd go back in the game and I didn't know what he was talking about. I had no idea. And it was really awkward because it made me feel like, you know, the kids who come here from overseas and the adjustment it takes not only to the game, but the language, it's, it's really difficult. But it was it was super fun playing overseas. I probably didn't take it as serious as I could have. I was just over there having fun. And uh, and uh, yeah, but the language barrier in, in Brazil was definitely super difficult. Dude, that sounds like a nightmare. Oh. Was that fun? And I got I, somebody- I got I got kicked out of a game in Brazil because I was wearing no show socks. And I guess part of the rule was you have to wear actual socks, but I couldn't figure out what they were saying. So they just I had to sit the whole game. And finally, at the end of the game, someone came from the stands and said, Hey man, you can't wear those socks. And I said, Ah, oh, come on. <laughs> It turns out if we get a translator, which our coach kept saying is stop wearing those fucking socks. Like I've told you, you can't wear the socks in the goddamn game. We yeah. can't even put you in. I mean, yeah, this, if I would have just known the word socks, I probably would have had a better career down there. <laughs> Tell me about Popovich. So I, I mentioned it in, kind of in the intro. I know it from your DMs. You coached with Popovich. What allowed that? What was that experience, man? What do you think? Well, so so to go back, and you'll probably ask me later where my Warriors kind of fandom started. So when I was fifth, uh, 14, my cousin was the ball boy for the Warriors. So I got to go all the time behind the scenes and go to the games. And every once in a while, I'd fill in when someone didn't show up. I got a good story about that, too. And then my first year at Bishop O'Dowd High School, Popovich's son played on the freshman team with me. We became really good friends. So I lived at Popovich's house my freshman, sophomore year of high school. I was there all the time. He would take us to the games. So I did get to coach them one time. I was invited to work the NBA Basketball Without Borders down in Argentina right after um, Manu and them had won the gold medal. So it was crazy down there. And uh, so I got to work with him that week. He's an awesome guy. Unbelievable. Uh, Just you know, as cool as they come and, and sarcastic and funny and serious, but his knowledge is awesome. Pop, Pop's a great guy. So I didn't do tons of coaching with him, just the one camp, but I, I spent, you know, my 15 and 16 years, year old at my, at his house hanging out. I mean, what an incredible foundation for a relationship with him. You know I mean? Like whenever we hear stories about Popovich, it's always professional and how you got popped or how he thought somebody was uh, uh, ill prepared for an interview session. The idea that you got to see him off the floor in a much more comfortable, you know, house-like setting is fucking awesome, man. I was in his minivan. I was in his minivan riding around. Well, I'll never forget one time, one time Marky Banyas came to the house to do a special on him and I just happened to be there. And he said, hey, you're going to be in this. I'm going to introduce you as my kid. And so during the segment, he goes, oh, this is my son, Tony. You know, we're there and they take the family picture and the whole bit. So I got to find it's on VHS somewhere. I got to get that put on in the digital format. But yeah, he's a great guy. If you find that, I'll introduce you next time. His family's unbelievable as well. So I feel like every time I would go over to a friend's house growing, like especially right around freshman year of high school, it was like the first time I was, it was like eating a ton. And I would always notice people's pantries when I would go over to their house. It's like, oh, you know, like the nicest parents would be like, yo, like feel free to have anything in your pantry. Do you remember Popovich's pantry? Was there anything remarkable about Popovich's pantry? You know what? That's good. I don't know. I don't remember. Ah. (laughs) I don't remember. What I remember, very simple though. He had a, he, you know, he didn't have a huge mansion or anything. I like had a nice house in Alameda, and okay, he walked down the street. You know, this is before the internet, so unless you watched the games, you had no idea who he was. <laughs> right. What I remember from freshman through senior year of high school being at other people's houses is, is being like desperately afraid that the parents would know that I was high out of my mind. And I can't <laughs> imagine how fucking intimidated I would have been if that parent was Popovich. Like I would desperately want their again, like their approval anyways, and I'd be tap dancing to try to get some some NBA takes out of them. And I could just just the idea of that is making me sweat profusely. Did he drop NBA gems? I mean, did he give you because I mean you're obviously playing hoop then, and I imagine his yeah. son did too. Did you learn some stuff from him basketball wise? Oh yeah, no, he uh he coached our 3 on 3 hoop it up team. Uh Shit. me, his son, my cousin, 
we were playing at Lake Merritt. They used to turn the the you know that parking lot that goes around by the by Fairyland. Those were yeah, all course. And yeah. Uh, yeah, so he came and he was coaching us. Now he I, I learned a lot of basketball from from Coach Pop. Perfect transition. So most of our warrior stuff is going to be asking you about how we can develop some of the young core. So let's set up your foundation here, man. So I know Triple Threat Academy. Tell us about it. Um, how long have you been developing players? Drop some names of people you've worked with. Give us uh, the whole nine yards. Yeah, so I started Triple Threat 20 years ago. Uh, wanted to go into college coaching, decided that wasn't for me. Used to work camps all the time and thought, man, I can do this. Uh, so I started Triple Threat, partnered with uh, Lou Ritchie, who's a head coach of Bishop O'Dowd. And we, we were very fortunate to train lots of kids. The first kid I ever did private sessions with, Damian Lillard, uh, when he was in the probably sixth, seventh grade. So trained him for a couple of years. Um, have tons of college kids. Ivan Rab, uh, got to coach Juan Toscano Anderson. Uh, so lots of kids, lots of people coaching now, playing, been really fortunate just to be around the game, kind of specialize in younger kids, uh, probably sure. ages, you know, eight to 14 is kind of the wheelhouse. And yeah, just enjoy and ran into you the other day in the gym. I didn't know who you were and your daughter was in class and that was pretty serendipitous, but uh, yeah, just enjoy it. And we got camps and clinics and all sorts of stuff going on all over the Bay area. How quickly when you're working with somebody like Damian Lillard, do you recognize it's different? You know, I mean, you've, you, I'm sure you've seen hundreds of kids before he's in your camp. You start working out with him. Is there a moment yeah. where you're like, shit, this guy's going to be an NBA player? Okay, I'm going to be honest. Most people won't be honest. I didn't think he had a chance till he was in college because, you know, huh. Dame was really yeah. small. And, but he was super skilled and had the chip on his shoulder. Yep. But on top of that, at the time, I was substitute teaching. So I always, always used to go to his school <laughs> and substitute teach. So him and his buddy and I, at recess, we'd play on the dunk court. And his buddy was one of those kids who was like 6'2 in the eighth grade. And Dan was probably, I don't know, five foot four, five foot three. So I used to give him the business. And he remembers that. But as he grew, you could just see that that chip on his shoulder, he got better and better and better. So I, I can't say that when he was young, I knew he was going to be a pro um, because he was just small. And he just got better and better and better. But a good story, I was coaching at O'Dowd. And he played freshman actually at Arroyo High School. A lot of people don't know that. He didn't start off at Oakland High. And before the game, I told the, the coach, I said, hey, I've been working with this kid. We probably should, you know, double team him, get the ball out of his hands. And he didn't believe yes. it. He's little. First quarter, Dame comes out and scores 16 on us, hitting threes, going crazy. And, you know, part of me was like, yes, fuck yeah, right? Yeah. And part of me had to keep it in because, you know, I'm coaching the other team. So he, he always knew he was a really good player, but – to say he'd be an NBA player, I, I'd say probably his first year of college when he really took that step. You're like, wow, he, he's got a chance. Did you bring it back up to the coach after the first quarter? Like, are you ready oh, to double team with me? You asshole? Oh, yeah. Coach hated me. Coach hated me. No. <laughs> he, he was not a fan of me. Yeah. Is yeah. there any truth to the rumor that my daughter's already better than Damian Lillard? Have you noticed any of the similarities in that first session or no, too early? Well, you know what? I, was, I didn't want to say anything. I, I, I don't want to put her on that trajectory yet. But yeah, no, she did really good. And I hope hopefully she had fun. You know, at that age, it's about keeping it as fun as possible. Um, so the, you'll play longer. You know, when it gets super yeah. serious, a lot of kids check out. It's weird that you say that because I'm expecting her to dunk before she's eight. So I don't know if you need to get back in there. So, I mean, we'll see. You know, we'll put fun. No, no, perfect. I'll lower the hoop to four feet. Next, next Let's session. go. I'll I'll lower down. We'll get that dunk in. You'll be all good. Uh, I will finally dunk for the first time in my life, too. That sounds like a plan. Um, all right, boys. I'll tell you what. Let's talk some Warriors basketball, and let's start what we always do, the glass half full. Tony, I'm sure you're familiar with this segment. Here we look back at recent Warriors. Who give me something you like and don't like. I'll go first to give you a little time to think here. Here's something I don't. The Warriors' consistency. The only thing fucking consistent about this team is that they are inconsistent. You know, I, I am fine with a team that is not ready for a title run. I've rooted for more of those over my life. I'm also fine for a team that is late developing. I've experienced that. I don't know what I'm experiencing with this team. Every time I show up thinking this is what's going to happen, they've turned a corner, momentum starting, they're going to win on the run or on the road, rather, they shit the bed. And every time I want to write them off and think it's not going to happen, they show me that, you know, their starting five is as good as anybody in the NBA and 
they leave me confused. So what do I not like? Their lack of consistency. Um, I'll give you some things I do. I like Steph on a mission. You know, that game in Washington, you could tell he had decided they were going to win it. And I'll parlay that into another thing I like. I have watched Steph Curry be a fucking magician since 2009. I have watched him win four titles. I've watched him win two MVPs. I've watched him win a finals MVP. I've watched him do everything he can as a magician. He is still capable of fucking surprising me. That fall away three-pointer he hit while, while being double teamed at the end of that, that Washington game was bananas, man. I mean, the, the idea that he is still doing things that I feel like I've never seen before is just fucking incredible. Um, and I'll give you one more thing I like. I like Draymond Green three-pointers at the end of a shot clock when you need them. You know, having Dre hit a three when you like desperately need points is like finding a $20 bill on the ground when you don't have enough money to pay for a meal. You know, like you just, you don't think it's coming from anywhere. And then out of nowhere, you have this incredible solution. So those are the things I like and don't. Boys, what do you got? I mean, right right away, right? Just a couple of things. I feel like, is there, I, I think there's a stat that still stands that when Draymond makes two or more threes, we haven't lost a game. And well, that's still holding true after the Washington game. So that's pretty remarkable. Um, Bram, I, I was just looking for the tweet and I couldn't find it, but um, I'm pretty sure you tweeted out a couple of days ago uh, that it's like, it's weird. It's almost like the Warriors play better when the lights are brightest. Um, and I wonder if we're at the point, right? I mean, that was that was um, in response to the Spurs game, which had the highest regular season attendance record of any game so far. I mean, that's a big bright light opportunity, right? Biggest crowd. Um, that's something that you want to get up for. It's almost like after winning four titles, there's nothing that really gets you excited to play ball. And maybe, Tony, you might have some more perspective on this because I've certainly never played a professional NBA game or a professional basketball game. But um, I would get the sense that at this point, there's nothing else really to play for, especially in the regular season. They're teetering around six, seven seed, you know, it seems like they could go on a run pretty quickly, get it up to four even um, pretty quick. So there's not that much that that gets them going, but something like showing up with everybody that's on your staff sitting in the stands right before you go to the White House is the type of thing that would get you up, you know? So maybe they're looking for these these types of things to get them going. And at this point, there's nothing else that's worth it. Um, But one other thing before I pass it off, I... I think some weird stuff has been happening with Jordan Poole in that earlier on in the season, he he became sort of the poster child for, oh, we're going to call this guy really hard because everybody's sort of pointing to him. He's one of the younger guys in the league and he's doing some of these, you know, additional travel um, steps as he's getting into his gather that are uh, actually travel. I saw that a few times in the Washington game. One specifically, that was a very clear travel and the ref was just standing right behind him put up the three and and it was good to go. And I, I don't know if that's a glass half full or a glass half empty thing because I feel like it could flip either way. Um, I think it's nice that Jordan Poole is maybe giving a little bit uh, of that star treatment, um, but it is sort of a strange uh, subplot that's going on in the Warriors season right now. Yeah, absolutely. To go back to what you were saying, Bram, part of my James Harden hatred, I don't hate him as a player, just I think his game's ugly. We played him when I was Bishop O'Dowd in the 2006 state championship, and he played for Artesia. They were top five in the country. And perfect segue into the Warriors. You know, at halftime, we were down two, and we're thinking, oh, these guys aren't that good. And then they decided to come out and play and ran us out of the gym, right? So I think part of what's going on with the Warriors is it's hard to get up when you've been to the mountaintop. And these other teams are really good. I mean, they have players that can really play. So if you get in a hole, it's really hard when you're not healthy to just turn the switch on. And I don't think that with the young kids, they're in a position to just say, all right, turn the switch on. Let's make a little run. Because you notice they're start, they started to do that at home, right, on the last yeah. homestand. They'd be down. They'd turn it up at the end. But they couldn't sustain it because it takes a lot of energy. and Everything has to go perfect at the end of the game. you got to get stops. you got to get big shots. The refs got to give you the calls. You know, I think one of the games they were coming back, they called an illegal screen. We hit a three, killed all the momentum. Maybe that was the, was that the the Suns game where we, yes. there's there a legal screen. We hit the three, it killed all the momentum. We got a couple fouls. Um, so I, I think that's part of it. But my glass half full is that we're getting healthy. Mm. And I think that as we get healthy, uh, we're going to see more consistency. My glass not half full is that, we weren't healthy over the last 10 games. I thought the young guys were really doing well mm. and really starting to come into their own and understanding the, the reps that they're missing against some of these teams where they would have got a lot of playing time, I think would have played dividends 
and they still might, you know, get that that type of run for the rest of the season. But this like 10 games that they've missed here, I think was a big opportunity to get ready for the playoffs for those young guys. Are you worried at all, Tony? So, I mean, the, the idea that there's a switch that these guys are capable of flipping, we've seen them prove multiple times. Um, and I keep trying to hold on to that this year, you know, there's just way, just wait, that switch is coming. But I'm, I'm hearing things from Steve Kerr, like this is yet another wake up call. I mean, we're hearing the players and the team acknowledge it without flipping the switch. So as you sit here right now, are you confident that, you know, yeah, it's just a matter of effort. And of course that effort is coming. Yes and no. I think, you know, they gave a big FU to the whole league all summer. You know, they were yep. dancing, they were celebrating. Yep. I think that's kind of worn off. And now the teams are, are regressing to the, the mean. But I think what worries me, Bram, is that patterns become habits, right? Yep. So we're seeing these patterns and the more they do it, the more it's just going to become their style of play or the outcome of the game is going to continue to be not favorable. Um, I think healthy, I wouldn't want to play them, but you got to get there too. You know, everyone's yep. saying, oh, seeding doesn't matter. I think it does matter. You know, if you're, you're in the play-in game, that's a tough one to handle if you're this five or six seed. So I think if they get in the three or four seed, I'm not a – I've watched a lot of games. I don't think the Sacramento Kings are going to keep this up. I don't think the Pelicans are going to keep this up. And yep. I think uh, Luca is trying his hardest to will his team to win. He's going to fade at some point or get injured or he just can't sustain it. So I think, I think we'll end up at three or four seed if, if we get healthy and, and some of these young guys get to play. I think, I think they need to play to get us there. We had, I'm not going to ask this question because I picked other ones, but one of the golden questions was, and I'm paraphrasing here because I didn't pull it, but you boys always say they're going to make the finals. Why? What the hell you know, is justifying that? And the way I'd answer this is the way you just did, Tony. If, if the main thing, because it is, this is what everyone's pointing out. If the main thing that we're concerned about with this Warriors roster is the effort they're putting out on a nightly basis, well, that's something that they can fix. And I believe that they will. You know, a, a team led by Steph and Dre and this kind of a fucking core, there's no way that they, I don't know, not show enough effort to ultimately showcase the talent that they're capable of. So I'm confident that they will. It's a little concerning that they haven't yet, but you know, hopefully it's just around the corner. Um, I'll give you one more they thing. Have I in spurts. They have in spurts, you know, we'll see, uh, they play Boston next, right? We'll see how they play yep. then, but I'm worried that that effort takes a toll. And if you're not used to doing mm -hmm. that and you turn it on in the playoffs, they might run out of gas. So I think they need to set that stage the last 15 games of the season and go into playoffs already playing at that high level. Otherwise, I don't know if they can just turn that switch on and say, hey, we're the Warriors. We're going to show up. We've done it before. These other teams are hungry and they're better than they were last year. What's an indicator? If I'm watching a game and I want to look for something that's like, oh, they're trying tonight, you know, that effort levels up. What's something that shows that for you? For me, is their point of attack defense. So if they're really trying to stop the ball and not just let whoever has the ball get all the way to the hoop, that's always a good indicator that they're locked in and ready to go. Hmm. Yeah, there you go. I'll give you one last thing to like, and it kind of piggybacks on them getting um, – Healthy, and it's a random one, but I like that Wiggins is having a little difficulty coming back. Here's why. So Wiggins has missed 15 games, longest stretch of his career, and the three-pointer's not quite fallen yet. The reason I like that is I can fucking associate with it. Anytime I have longer than like a three, four-day layoff from work, when I'm commuting back in, I'm legitimately thinking to myself, do I even know how to do this job anymore? <laughs> you know, like, how do I fit back in? And then it takes a while, and then ultimately, you know, you hit your stride again. So watching an NBA champion go through kind of a similar experience that I can associate with that, I like. Now, I wouldn't mind if he starts hitting those shots, but uh, I'll leave it as an optimistic look. All right, boys, let's get to our golden questions. Tony, this is our mailbag. Uh, it always yeah. goes with the Warriors. Sometimes gets personal. Here's our first quote. Huddle boys. Let me stop. Boys spelled B-O-I-S-E. Random. Let me continue. Huddle Boys, your podcast is great. Boise? And Brent, what, yeah. They, they think we're be. doing Boise State? Who knows? I'm not sure. <laughs> I mean, I, whatever it is, of the words that you had to like respell, I'm not sure Boys is the one. But here's another thing to focus on. Quote, Huddle Boys, your podcast is great. And Bram is nowhere near as fat as I thought he'd be. Let's pause again. We get a variation on this multiple times. 
I don't know if my voice sounds fat. Like, I don't know why people think I would be fat, but like anytime somebody's commenting on the video and they're not talking about Nick, right. They're talking about the fact <laughs> that I'm not like 400 pounds. So you know, there it is. Uh, That's a win. Back up. Yeah. Th thanks, Tony. I, you know, I appreciate <laughs> yeah. that. Glass this, half full. Yeah. This, this email better not be from you, man. Fuck. Uh, <laughs> continuing quote. You all talk about how the young guys need to grow, but no one ever details what they should work on or how they can actually improve. Please ask Tony, the talent developer, these questions. Um, then he has a series of questions and he focuses them all on James Wiseman. But I'm going to steal the question and change it a little bit. All right. So I've got his basic development questions, but I'm going to aim them at a different player first, Jordan Poole. So here's the first Tony, when you're looking at Jordan, and I imagine you've watched his whole career, you're, you know, you're mm -hmm. up on what he's capable of. What areas do you think he can improve on as a player? I think he needs to be a, a more stable defender. I think he, you know, that's one of the reasons why he can't stay on the floor sometimes. I mean, offensively, he he's he's as skilled as they come. His start stop reaction time, the way he changes direction is, is unbelievable. So I think him slowing down the game, slowing down. So he, he doesn't trip over himself and he sees things and makes it happen. And then he needs to improve his three point shot. But really if he can just stop the point of attack 50% of the time, he, I mean, he's going to be an all-star just a matter of time because his offensive skill set is uh man, and I think, you know, to, to, to roll into what we're talking about, I think one of the reasons why we saw him take those huge steps is he's got tons of reps as uh, a young kid on a team that was shitty. And he yep. just got to go out there and make mistake after mistake and figure it out. And I think that's where our young guys aren't really getting that. And it's really tough to develop when you can't make mistakes. Yeah, and we'll we'll go to those younger guys in a second yeah. for pool, right? So we've seen him make mistakes on the biggest stages this year. We saw the Utah game. We've seen him, you know, shit the bed a couple of times. Are those pluses? You know, like do you think he's the type of player who learns from uh, from those mistakes? I think so, but in my experience, when players fall, it's because they're afraid of the moment. Huh. You know, you don't you don't see Steph fall. You don't see so yeah. whether he's slipping or whatever. You see a lot in high school. It, yep. It's it's the easy bailout. To be like, oh, I fell. I didn't get blocked. Yep. I didn't miss the shot. So I think as much swagger as he has, and he's got tons, yeah. is he's not quite there. And a lot of that's because he doesn't get to close games because he can't yep. guard a traffic cone. So is that if, if you're working with him? All right. So let's say the, the Warriors are listening to this. This podcast gets interrupted. It's Bobby Myers. What's up, Dubs? Two questions. Yeah. yeah, there he is. First one is, all right. I agree with you. I'm a little worried that he's the moment's been occasionally too big for him. How do you work with Poole to not be, I mean, and we don't know, you know, maybe the, the floor was wet. I mean, th this is all just conjecture. But if you wanted to work on his mentality at the end of games, him not falling, how do you do mm -hmm. that? What do you do? Person I mean, is it just personally, I take the ball out of his hands and yeah. let him catch it on the move and attack. Because when you have the ball and the whole defense, you got, you know, all the eyes on you, it's a lot harder than if you're moving without the ball, you catch it. Now you can attack. So I take the ball out of his hands and let him create about, from the wing or another position. How about the other errors? How about his, his lackadaisical defense occasionally, the other stuff you were telling us about, how do they work on that? Well, I have to imagine as athletic as he is, it's an effort thing, right? Because it's moving your feet. It's wanting to do it. So I don't know if he yeah. really wants to do that. And usually what happens to guys like him is they start doing it when their playing time gets taken away. When you don't get to close, all of a sudden it's like, hey, he figured out how to play defense all of a sudden. That's, what a concept. I don't, I don't think he he's incapable of doing it. But he needs to get a little bit stronger. But, it, I mean, as fast and as quick as he is, I'm pretty sure he could stay in front of some of these guys for two or three seconds, at least not to give them straight line drives to the hoop. That uh, makes sense. Do you guys remember that show? Um, was it Above the Rim? The show on MTV uh, where they would have uh, like various street players who um, would play the best street ballers from that city and they try to beat them. And one. Um, and one, sorry, not above the rim. Yeah. Exactly right. And Skip to my Lou was one of the only people who made the transition. He ended up playing for an NBA team. And I remember an and one episode when he was first trying out. I think he was trying out for Utah. And they said, all right, 
give me 90 feet, you know, dribble from baseline to baseline. Let's see how fast you do it. And Skip took the ball and did, you know, incredible dribbling moves left and right, all this other shit. And then he got to the other baseline and the uh, person who was working him out said, that's great. Took you about 90 extra fucking seconds. How about you just go from baseline to baseline? And I think of that all the time when I'm watching Jordan Poole. You know, the, there are times when he'll beat a man once, pull it back, beat him again, pull it back. You do, this isn't a, an episode of and one, you know, one of the things I wouldn't mind him working on is just concentrate on what we need in the play. You know, you, you don't have to show your entire arsenal of moves every fucking time you have the ball. Let's settle down. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet, place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotion, promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Tony, if you had to bet something significant to you, do you think that Jordan Poole will be ready? I mean, he's already done it once, but do you think he'll be ready to be a significant contributor when the playoffs roll around and, and presumably the playoffs or the Warriors are in them? Yeah, I think as long as his role is defined, and I think that's one of the reasons why he's been inconsistent, it's really hard to say, hey, you're a starter today. We need you to go for 40. And then the next day you're coming off the bench and they say, hey, defer to everyone else. It's hard. Yeah. Um, so I think if if everyone gets healthy and his role is what it is, I think he'll thrive in the playoffs because the, the way he scores, it, it it's made for playoff. It is. I mean, I, I, I think the other thing, too, is his bag is so big, full of tricks that he doesn't know which one to use. So over yeah. time, the more reps he gets in these high pressure situations, he'll realize, keep it simple. I don't have, like you said, I don't have to do 47 moves, but he has so many that I think he gets confused as to, to which ones he should do at the time. But I, I yeah, I think he'll, he'll be a great contributor in the playoffs, but he's got to play some defense Maxime? too. Do you trust him, Maxime? If the playoffs were starting today, would you trust him in a big role? No, especially with what Tony was just saying. Look, okay, so let's take a step back. Yes, I trust him because I've seen him do it. It's exactly what you pointed out. I mean, he came up big for us last year. With that said, at the same time, what Tony's saying about like um, falling a little bit short, uh, sometimes literally in the big moments, right, to close out the end of games, that's concerning. I can see him, um, now that you've described it that way, like almost short-circuiting in his brain. There's so much going on that he's, he kind of panics and and then his foot gets uh, falls out from under him. That's really, really concerning, especially if we're not giving him the stability to sort of refine that and get comfortable in those final moments. I could see as the lights get brighter and brighter, uh, I could see him going one of two ways, right? I could see his brain short-circuiting short circuiting even more, or I could see him start to simplify, calm down a little bit. And the only reason it might end up being the latter is because from everything that we've heard, he's a really hard worker. He's a really smart guy. Uh, and so he might actually take the time to slow down when it really matters. And I think, Tony, you may have given some real gold with the suggestion of a defined role. You know, I I've, haven't been in any of the conversations that they're having with Jordan, but we've heard it publicly where they've basically anointed him the next Steph Curry. And, you know, it's possible that he's trying to be that right now. You know, that's why he's doing all 47 moves and why he's trying to finish every game. It might be as simple as sitting down with him, just as you've said. It's like, look, we believe in your future, but your future isn't now. You know, we don't need a next Steph Curry currently. We need you to be Jordan Poole currently. You don't have to finish every game. You don't have to finish every play, you know, let's, let's build you up to that. And I can see those expectations 
being a great foundation of where he can become. All right, Tony, tell me about coming Last thing on that, I think the problem is there's some games where they're saying we need you to be Steph Curry, yeah, because yeah, there's no one else playing, and so yeah. when you have green light, you can make those mistakes, and then all of a sudden, game to game, it shifts. It's really hard. You know that's why some guys that play 12 minutes a night, they play their 12 minutes, they do what they're supposed to do, and they know exactly I'm going to go sit and I'm going to enjoy the rest of the game at the end of yep. the bench. Pools kind of up and down. Some some games he's he's the lead guy. Sometimes he's the fourth option. So he's so figuring that you, out. How would you tell the? How would you have the Warriors negotiate that? Because you're right. You know, they're, they're. I mean, Steph got hurt. It was what it was. They had to put him in a starting role. Mm-hmm. But you know, let's let's hope for and assume health going forward, right? Mm-hmm. So, and then let's assume that Jordan is going to be on the bench. What would you make his role? How would you, if you had that conversation with him, what would you want him to be doing? I would want him to do what's best for the team in that moment, like you were saying. Right. Like you don't have to save the team every single play down, play within yourself, make the easy move. But honestly, I would start him and not not because he's a starter. I don't think it's a start, but he gets to play with Steph. And as a defense, how do you guard two Steph like players on the court at the same time who move the way they do? So he he can't have that kind of movement when Steph's not on the floor because the defense can key in on him. Right. So if he when he plays with Steph. I mean, his game goes to a whole nother level because he's the the third option, you know, and he Who gets to cook. Sit? Who are you going to sit? That's the heart of it. Uh, I, I would sit Wiggins and have him huh. come in with the second unit because obviously Clay, you know, the, the problem with that is when, when Poole's on the bench and Seth's on the bench, you don't have that playmaker, right? You don't have that guy that can create their own shot, but that, that's what I would do. Yeah, I, I like that idea. I mean, I, I like the idea of developing or, or Looney way. and move Dre to the five Wiggins to the four, um, yep, go smaller. And yeah, it's not, um, and I don't think, you know, people are saying, Oh, he plays better when he's a starter. Cause he doesn't care when he comes off the bench. I think cause his role's more defined and he gets to play with Steph. Yeah. No, no, it makes sense to Steph's me. Not hurt. It, um, Wiggins occasionally worries me when he's the number one option. He see, you know, he's given us a lot of time in Minnesota where he showed us he doesn't always flourish in that role, but, yep. but, He'd be the number one option against number two defenders. And so, you know, maybe that's an entirely different analysis. One I will save for another podcast. Let's well, talk. He, he, might not, he might not have to be the number one option if he's playing with clay. It's true. Yeah. There you go. You know, um, Kaminga. So I, I haven't had a crush on a player's possible upside like this since Anthony Randolph. And I had a very unreasonable crush <laughs> on Anthony Randolph too. Um, so tell me about Kaminga's areas of development. If you're working with the Warriors, you know, they, they tell you, look, we've got, we know what his upside is, but we're not sure how to get him there. What areas do you think he needs to work on? Well, I think he was getting there, right? I think that the hard part is it's a lose-lose situation for these guys, these young guys. They're, they're in a, a situation where they have to conform to what's going on as opposed to on the Rockets or something else where you get to dictate what happens. So mm-hmm. if Kaminga doesn't play within the system, he's not good enough yet to just take over and break the system. you know. And, and you're seeing that from Poole sometimes. He's good enough sometimes he doesn't run the system and he's successful. So I think mm-hmm. with Kaminga, and he was doing great, he needs to run the floor. He needs to play defense. He needs to take open shots uh, when he's open, not when it's forced. So not off the yep. dribble, you know, catch and shoot. And I think the one thing he really gives the Warriors that they're lacking desperately right now is the rim pressure. He can get to the rim as athletic as Wiggins is. He doesn't blow by his defenders. He gets a shoulder on them. They ride him to the hoop. Kaminga's so fast. He, he blows by people and can finish. And I think they're really missing that. So I think with him, it's just, Kind of like Jordan Poole. Do what's best in the moment for the team, not for you. Do you think he's ready right now? If the playoffs started tomorrow and he was healthy, would you trust him 20 minutes in a in a playoff setting? Yeah. Wow. Uh, are, as are long, as, long as Steph, Clay, and Dre are healthy, I trust all the guys in there. I mean, they don't have to work on anything? The, you think that well, Kaminga right now? Of course, of course. But, yeah. the, but the thing is, let's say Kaminga works on his shot. Are they going to say, hey, yep. green light and go shoot? No, his role this year is defined as you got to play defense, you got to attack the rim, and every once in a while we'll let you shoot when you're open. What do you yeah, see? Well, he's got lots to work on. But, but with him, I think the biggest thing is his consistency with his motor, right? He yep. seems like the type of player that thinks he should be getting more, 
And he probably should. And on any other team, he'd be playing 38 minutes a night. So I think his, for him to switch it up and say, hey, this is my role. I'm going to embrace the hell out of it and be the yeah. best role player on this team. We'll take him to new heights. If he fights it, it it's it's not going to be good for him. What do you see his upside as? Is my crush misplaced? I mean, I, I, if he was somewhere else, I see mm-hmm. him as a possible franchise player that they could develop, you know, into a real difference maker in the NBA. Am I being ridiculous? Am I being a little optimistic there? I, I'm not as big on Kaminga as other people in that sense. I think yeah. he's really good. He could be really good, but he hasn't shown me yet that he can just do it. And I think he can, but he hasn't shown me yet. So I I think, again, if he was on another team, he's averaging 23 a game, but is he winning, right? LaMelo Ball, that's great. He puts up numbers. His team sucks. You know, he just plays no defense. He's not inspiring to making the other players better. So um, I would like to see that from Kaminga. I'm not 100% sold that he's a franchise guy. Yeah, fair enough. Um, all right, let's rip off the band-aid. Talk to me about Wiseman. So this is a tough thing for me. Um, I, I still haven't rounded out. I'm, I'm still holding out hope. You know, big men take longer to develop. He hasn't had an opportunity. He's got to make the mistakes, the whole nine yards. When you think of Wiseman, what do you think of? Is he a bust? Does he still have some potential? Where are you? So I'm going to take a lot of flack for this. I think he is a franchise player. Oh, let's I go. Know. You know, and and... What I think is missing with Wiseman is personally, I don't think he's a five, right? So you have this kid who dominated all his youth, probably because he was big, but he never set a screen. He never had to post up. He didn't have to do those type of things because he's a dynamic player. So now he's being asked to do all these things that he's never done before. Of course, he's going to struggle, but offensively, the tools and everything there, I think with him, the biggest thing is trust that Kerr just needs to say, hey, you know what? Go play 25 minutes a game and let's see what happens. Because he has no problem doing that with Ty Jerome and Lamb. Hey, go play and let's see if we win. Why can't why can't he do the same thing with the with the young guys? And I, I don't understand that. There must be something that I'm missing, but I, I think Wiseman's potential, and I don't know if it's going to be on this team. That's the scary part, is yep. I don't know if it's going to happen with the Warriors given the situation. But I think at some point, yeah, I mean, he's he's pretty darn good. I've heard but he's de- definitely say- not a bust. It's the read and react that he's not. He's, it's the Warriors' offense specifically, their system that requires all the read and, and reactions that he's slow on. Um, but instead of focusing on the downside, tell me more about the up. When you say he's a franchise player, why? What do you see in his game that impresses you? Well, what impresses me, and, and they don't allow him to do it, is he can get a rebound and push the ball just like Draymond. Now, I'm not yeah. saying he's Draymond. He has yeah, the, yeah. The, the potential to go 94 feet and score at seven yeah. feet. Um, I think when it all comes together, everyone's so focused on his defense. Oh, his defense sucks. He's the reason why we're losing. Well, you know, every time the the guy gets past the the point of attack defender, he's playing two on one every single time, and he doesn't know how to do that yet. So at, at the end of the day, uh, I mean, he scores. He plays above the rim. He gives them vertical spacing. Um, again, I don't know if it's going to happen with the Warriors, but I hope it does. I hope it does. Do you think it'll happen? Do you think he will contribute to the Warriors playoff run this year? I mean, so it doesn't mean he's going to be here forever. They won't necessarily trade him out. But yeah, do you think he'll be ready as a, from a player standpoint to contribute? I think if he's healthy, he has to. I don't think it's, can he, he had the the Warriors need him against some of these guys that they're going to be playing. Yeah. Yeah. But will um, he, they do need him, but will he be there to, to contribute? I mean, it's that, cause I totally agree with you. Yeah, that's good question. <laughs> so, well, well, by saying will he is that is the coach going to allow him to do that or his body yeah. allow him to do that? Because you know he was making some good strides, but again, remember the beginning of the year when he scored twenty points against the Wizards? Now, oh, he's great, he's great, and then he has three or four bad games, and that's all it takes in the NBA to change your your trajectory. You know, yep. Jeremy Lin had six good games, and he played for ten more years. Oh, Brock right. Purdy right. had has what four good games, and now he's the franchise quarterback. So. What I'm hoping happens with Wiseman is he comes back, has a good string of games where maybe he gives you 12 or 15 minutes in the playoffs to be a big body, to, uh, you know, give, give Steph some vertical spacing that he never really has had. You know, and you saw that with Daniel Gafford last night, right, against the Wizards. I mean, the threat of that lob, it's real. And you have Clay in the corner ready to shoot. So we'll see. Again, I'm probably going to get a lot of shit for this, but I think, I think the kid can play and it's just a matter of time. I just hope it's with the Warriors. 
you just elevated up my favorite guest list as far as, uh, as that's concerned. And I'll also say, I mean, the second you talked about him pushing the ball, in my mind's eye, there was a couple of plays in that rookie season, you know, when everyone mm-hmm. was hurt and he was allowed to do whatever the hell he wanted, where he did exactly as you're describing. He'd get a yeah. rebound and push it close to 90 feet, and he seemed pretty comfortable handling the ball. So I hope you're right. Uh, Maxime, has Tony changed your mind? Where are you on on Wiseman? Are you all sunshine and rainbows now? Is this guy ready to be a, a dominant center for us? Well, well ha, but you just said a key word there, which is center, right? Tony provided a little bit of a con- contradiction in my mind, which is, wait, wait a minute, if he's maybe not best suited based on the skill set that he grew up with as a five, I mean, where does that leave us when that's really who we need? So what we're talking about is an idealized version of a, a body that we see that looks like James Wiseman versus the brain that's in that body and recognizing that those are kind of pulling us into two different directions. That's really concerning. The thing, what we were talking about, pushing the ball up the court and also like some of the pick and roll stuff that he was doing with Jordan Poole, that's compelling. That's really exciting. But that's the opposite of our read and react offense, right? That's like both of them being young, needing to have uh, sort of a reduced scope on what they're capable of doing and just running really set plays. That's not the type of thing that's going to allow us to succeed in the playoffs. The reason we succeed in the playoffs is because you can't game plan against this read and react offense. It's just whatever's happening. And if they're not capable of providing the type of output that we need in that system. I mean, maybe sure. If we're talking about 10, eight minutes, I could see that being valuable. Um, but I do have concerns about, uh, you know, as rotations, um, shorten and people are game planning for us, not just for one game, but for four, six, seven, uh, it's going to be a little bit hard. I think for him to stay on the floor. We got to remember though, when we're talking about going coast to coast on stuff, he still needs to develop the correct decision making to make the right plays. He has the skills to do it. But the NBA game's a little bit different. But go, going back to what you said, you know, our system is read and react, but coaches also adjust and tweak based on their personnel. Mm-hmm. So in the Warriors dynasty, we haven't had a player like Wiseman. We haven't had an athlete like Kaminga. You know, Harrison Barnes is pretty athletic, but nothing like Kaminga. The closest I'd say is Gary Payton Jr. And he's, you know, or the second. He's much smaller than Kaminga, but he gave that vertical spacing, that athleticism. So hopefully maybe, you know, they can adjust the offense a little bit to incorporate these other skill sets that they've never had before. Yeah. Especially as the other guys age, you know, they age, but imagine Draymond guarding the five and Wiseman guarding the four. Mm -hmm. I I don't see why that can't happen. Or the skill set they're also missing, and this is coming directly from the coach's mouth, is these coaches have never had to develop a player into an NBA talent. You know, mm-hmm. they've taken other NBA talents and developed them into the Golden State system. We've seen that a million times. And David West, I mean, all, all the veterans we came in here and, and uh, brought into the fold, but we have never had talented young kids who first had to learn how to play in the NBA and then learn how to play the system. I mean, Kerr will tell you he's not a college coach. And to oversimplify it, there's a reason I was so interested in your opinion, Tony. You fucking develop players, you know, and that's what these guys need. They need development. And if they can get that, there's a whole platoon of other players ready to help the Warriors out. I mean, one of the most popular topics right now, if you listen to any podcast, if you have any Warriors discussion, is trades. Who can they add? You know, this team is obviously missing something. What can they do to get over the hump? Well, these players we're talking about, you know, with Kaminga and Wiseman, there's a series of very talented fucking players who are already here. You know, that platoon we may need could be in the wings. It's just a matter of figuring out how to develop them. Well, it's a catch-22, Bram, because to develop, you need the reps, right? right. So unless he gets the reps. But I would pose this question to Warriors fans. Would you be okay if we don't win the championship this year, but these young kids set us up to win two more, three more in, in Steph, Clay, and Dre's, you know, end, end of the career run? You know, sometimes you have to do that because most fans will say, no, we got to win one now, and then that's it. And then we're shitty. And it sucks being a Warriors fan when the Warriors are shitty. It's so much more yeah. fun when we're winning and there's something to cheer about. So if you could guarantee me, if you were from the future, if you're like, literally, yeah. did I just step out of a DeLorean? Good news, man. You know, they're not going to win this year, but I know that they, I know for sure they're going to win in three or four years. And yeah, of course, of course I do that. You know, hard. Right. But if it's not for sure, if you were telling me they could definitely win a title now and they definitely won't three or four years from now, I would take that. Right. But if, who's the player? Me, who's the, who's the player that makes them definitely win now? 
No, and that's, Jacob and that's Podol, a real come on. fucking problem. Right. The, the biggest, I, I went to a game, I went to the Phoenix game with a friend, and the only time we weren't having drunken fun is when this topic came up. And he gave me shit about it because I've been live on this podcast talking about maybe we should consider trading the younger guys. And it has nothing to do with where the younger guys are going to go or who they're going to help. It has everything to do with who the fuck Steph Curry is. You know, mm -hmm. th this is, we are never going to have a player of his caliber in this jersey again, ever. Um, and I think we owe it to him to surround him with the best shot at winning a title. If, if you know, that means trading some of our future to give him that best shot now, I would do it. Uh, but if, if we are guaranteed another shot down the line, then of course I'd keep him in the fold. But that's the way I've looked at this, if that makes any sense. Yeah, but I, I think when you, when you bring up the trade talks and the win now, Who's the viable guy that comes in that the Warriors can afford, that they can keep and all that stuff. And the names get thrown around just because people think that they're going to get traded. Oh, the Bulls aren't doing good. Let's get Caruso. Oh, this. I don't know if that guy's out there that, that fits what we need in the price range that we can do unless we give up a Draymond, a Clay. Yep. Uh, obviously, Steph's not going anywhere. Wiggins can't trade pool. You know, that. It just doesn't work that way. There's two sides to the trade. The other team needs something too. Of course. No, the, so I guess all we're talking about now is concept. I, I, do I trust the Warriors front office to make this analysis and make the right decision? I do. And if at the end of the day and they look out there and they decide there's not somebody who really gives them that much of a chance, so let's keep the players in, fuck, dude. Of course I, I support that. But on the wasn't other side the of the same ball, conversation have it? Wasn't this the same conversation last year around this time? We need to get a big. We need to do this. Yeah. You got to trust that no, front office. It, and they made the right call. That's exactly right. Yeah. And if they decide to make a trade, and if they bring back one of those remarkably unsexy names, you know, if there's somebody <laughs> less sexy yeah. than, than Jacob Pertle, I don't know who the fuck it is. But if they decide to do that, I will also support that. I get it. I can see where that's coming from. You know, if what you right. want to do is make sure that Steph is surrounded. I'm, uh, I'll, I've used this before and I'll end it here. We keep hearing the Warriors want to be the Spurs. I support that, right? But once they lost Tim Duncan, you know what the Spurs didn't do? Win another fucking title. You know, they, they, you can stay competent. That doesn't mean you stay in the title picture. And so, right. I, you know, you, you owe it to your fans to go after it while you can. All right, last question, and it's in the form of a judgment theater. So I've got the question here first. Maxime, if you wouldn't mind, Pull up that tweet I shot you about the White House because uh, it has the picture. So here is the question we got. Quote, the Warriors returned to the White House today, celebrated their title, and took this picture. If you were the president of the United States, would you kneel if no one else did? So, boys, we are looking at the picture uh, that the Warriors took today, and everybody is standing with the exception of one person. Mr. President, Joe Biden is taking a knee as if it's a uh, an eight-year-old soccer photo. <laughs> so this person is asking, if you were, if you're the president, you know, you're a fucking king of the world, you're the president of the United States, and a, a title team comes in, takes a picture, and they've asked you to kneel, would you kneel if you're the president? Don't answer, Tony. We're going to turn this into judgment theater. So boys, I am now the president of the United States. A team has come in. I'm in my own, whatever room this is. Everyone takes a picture. They've asked me to kneel. What do you think? Do I kneel or do I fight back? I think you kneel to hide your double chin because you're shorter than the other guys and the angle's not going to let make you look good. You bastard. You were the person who said that <laughs> fast enough. All right, Max, what do you got? The boys. Um, I, uh, no, I don't think you kneel. And I, in fact, I think you elbow people out of the way to give yourself a little bit of space so that everybody can clearly see that you're the center of attention. Actually, no. I think I think Bram would kneel, hoping that Steph Curry would see it and partner up with him. They'd be the dynamic duo wow. uh, on the floor there. Okay, I didn't know that was an option. So, <laughs> am I secure enough? Am I secure enough to be the only person kneeling in the photograph? Fuck no, I'm not. I take it hell of hard. If I'm if I'm standing up there and the photographer's like, "Ooh, does that move with their hand?" Like kneel down. Like hell no, I'm the president of the fucking United States. Unless unless I could get Steph and like we're doing something separate and like now it does look like we're best friends, I would do it there. But absent that, no. Not only do I not do it, I fire the photographer for asking that, and then I, you know, I make everybody else kneel as I take the photograph because that's how insecure I would be. Um, let's go to Maxine. So do you, do you think it's possible they had other people kneeling? But you know when you kneel for the team picture on like wood or something, your knees start hurting, and someone just stood up at the last minute, and Biden couldn't get up because he's too old. Uh, Is that possible? I mean, 
It is possible, but I'm not going to agree to Maybe it. Maybe Kamala was kneeling too and she got up. Is, yeah, he's actually kneeling on uh, concealed secret documents. He doesn't want anyone else to say no. I, I don't know why he's <laughs> kneeling, man. I won't bleed into political humor. Instead, I'm going to judge you, Maxine. What do I think? What would you do here? I think you would, Neil. I think you'd be secure enough, and I think you'd kind of like to play the role of like, oh, I'm I'm just Mister Anybody. Don't worry about I'm the president. I am a you know a Joe somebody just like you, and would kneel without giving anybody shit. But internally, you'd be as angry as I am. Um, you know, but you just would actually do it without telling anybody how how upset you are. What do you think, Tony? Is he a kneeler? No. No. I take Maxime as a guy who'd move out of the middle. And kind of, kind of blend in with Ron Adams over there on the left. <laughs> I like it. What's the answer, Maxine? That's that. That's that's definitely correct. Listen, I I feel like there's a lot that's happening here. Did there was Biden like dealing with some stuff, you know, with the red telephone or something, and he could only get there in the last second, and so everything was already posed, and he just had to like make another row really quick. You know, we don't know the context of why this why this dude's kneeling. Maybe he's like, I need to run for a second term. People need to know that I'm spry enough to be able to kneel and come back. <laughs> Who knows? But yeah, if I got to stand there long enough to position myself. I'm the president of the United States. You know what I'm saying? There's like, I'm first looking for Steph Curry because I'm a Warriors fan, but then I'm second, I'm looking for the president. Really easy to see in this photo, but like, <laughs> you're not going to miss the dude. So yeah, I would love to stand off to the side and presume humility, but you know, meanwhile, it's like, now nah, I'm the president. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> that brings us to Tony. What's your guess on Tony, Maxime? I need a little more information on him before I'm throwing down a guess here. But so he's in this scenario, president of the United States is his fucking White House. Team comes in. What do you think? They ask him to kneel, does he? Yeah, I, no, I, I think if they ask him to kneel, I think he's doing it. And this is why, he, you know, he's a coach, right? He's, he's a, he knows what it takes to get people to feel comfortable around him, to get people to, to look up to him without needing to ask for it, right? And the, it's those little things where you're like, yeah, sure, of course. It's not a big deal. It's just a quick photo opportunity. And then people say, oh, he's a team player. He's willing to, you know, do what needs to be done. I'm willing to do what needs to be done for this guy, too. I say he kneels and he weaponizes the opportunity. Tony, you strike me as a communicator. So that happens. They tell you to kneel. Before you do, you make a couple of jokes to nobody in particular. Just throw that out. Oh, I have to kneel. I'm the president, which reestablishes the power dynamic. And then you go specific to the team leaders. You have a little thing to Steph, a little thing to Dre, maybe a little wink to Clay. Like, oh, I can't believe I'm doing this. And then down you go, smile and kneel. That's, uh, that's my analysis. What's the truth? 100% I would kneel. 100% I would have got someone else to kneel with me. But the reason I would kneel is because when you look at this picture without context, so on my screen right now, I can't see faces, but the person that stands out the most is the guy kneeling. So to me, it's like, oh, that must be the most important guy in the room because I can see him without trying to figure out who's who. So no, I definitely would have kneeled, probably would have got someone with me. But even, even if that didn't happen, I would have gladly one to hide my double chin because I can't grow facial hair. So <laughs> the angle would have been you know, a little bit better, but but it's notice, a very strong I wouldn't, pose. I wouldn't even respond to your double chin thing. In fact, I've been trying to look up as we've as we've the <laughs> after you've said that. Who would you have gone after to get to kneel with you? And how would you have done it? Just like force them down? I mean, how do you get someone to kneel along with you in a photograph? So it would have been, I would have tried to get Steph knowing that it probably wouldn't have happened, and I would have got one of the media guys at the end. Say, hey guy, hey, you don't want to be in the end. Come in. Come, Come on, to the important Come on guys right here. Yeah. Maybe you get a little maybe, maybe, maybe gave like a, you know, where you hold hands like this or something like that. <laughs> I'd want, I'd want the ball between us. I like the dual kneeling, <laughs> you know, and then you have the ball down and we're both have the hands on the ball. So it looks like, uh, looks like it was part of the plan. Who Tony, thought of that when we were kids? Hey, both you guys put your hands on the ball. That was always weird. I don't know. I remember I was the goalie in my team photo for a soccer uh, picture. In fact, that picture still exists on my refrigerator and every time i see it because i'm sitting there kneeling in my shitty goalie shirt i'm hella pissy about it maybe that's why this hits me so fucking personally <laughs> it's like I, they forced me to kneel then and i didn't want to and here i am rewising the uh the scenario tony i really appreciate you um today was a wow, lot of fun. This fun thanks for having me yeah, on i am sure i'm not alone for people who need far more of you in their life where do they turn well, I, I've become more active on Twitter. Uh, my handle is at T-F-R-A-C-S. And other than that, I'm with my kids or I'm in the gym. So you can come find me if you, your kid plays basketball. You're in Oakland, San Ramon, Alameda, triple threat 
Academy. We have a class for, for your kid and yeah, or you can engage with me on Twitter. Um, I will use this to only plug Tony, not us. And I'm going to take it away from the Warriors and go more to Triple Threat Academy for a moment. There is nothing in my life more important to me right now than my daughter, Ben. She was very intimidated about playing hoops. She was. She, I, I've been kind of talking to her about it. Last week was the first time. Tony's right. We ran into each other and I watched it. Um, it wasn't that she learned. She did. It wasn't that she had fun. She did. It's that she felt fucking comfortable, man. That's props to you. Um, Thank you. So, you know, I mean, that, and that's not an easy thing. Um, and so I appreciate everything you said on, on this podcast. We will have you again. But also, if you're what about looking, my shot, you can tell people about my shot. Yeah. My I mean, 40 let's foot not underhand. Cocky. Let's not get cocky. <laughs> Don't you fucking settle down over there. I'm not going to go too goddamn far. But you brought it up. You brought it up. Want to, uh, no, the, I, I was impressed with that shot, but I'll save it for another podcast. All right. For good. us, you want to get us a, uh, a question for the Golden Questions. Want to let us know we did a good job, bad job. Want to let me know I should kneel without bitching. You can send that to huddle at warriorshuddle.com. There it is, right at the bottom of the screen, looking hella fancy. We're also up on social media, uh, only one place. That's Twitter, at Warriors Huddle. With that in mind, go Warriors, and hopefully... Go Dubs! Good, good. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet, place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotion, promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.